If you're enjoying this Crush Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Questions podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Ted O'Connell one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high-yield and high-quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. This is Clarence Kong, narrating part two of the psychiatry chapter. Bipolar Disorders Bipolar 1 A woman notices that her husband has been acting strangely for the past two weeks. He has barely been sleeping, only an hour a night, because he says he has to get back to his big research project. He eagerly tells everyone within shouting distance about his exciting plan to achieve world peace and how he is going to meet with one of the president's advisors to tell him all about it. However, it is hard to understand him because he talks so quickly and jumps from one idea to another. He has also drained their savings by buying an expensive new suit and sports car. This is a classic example of a patient with bipolar 1 disorder. Patients with bipolar 1 disorder, by definition, have had at least one manic episode, lasting at least seven days, or for any length of time if hospitalization is required. That includes at least three of the dig fast criteria. Distractibility, insomnia, decreased need for sleep, grandiosity, increased self-esteem, flight of ideas or racing thoughts, activity or agitation, 
such as putting in significantly more work into projects or an increase in sexual activity. Speech, pressured rapid speech, thoughtlessness, engaging in pleasurable activities with negative consequences such as gambling or shopping sprees. Patients experiencing a manic episode can have an elevated, expansive mood or an irritable mood. If irritability is the predominant feature, then four dig fast criteria must be met. Note that a patient only needs to have a manic episode to be diagnosed with bipolar 1 disorder, although most patients also cycle through periods of major depression. Bipolar 2 Patients with bipolar 2 disorder have had at least one major depressive episode and at least one hypomanic episode. Both are required for the diagnosis. And they have never had a manic episode. A hypomanic episode still fulfills at least three of the dig fast criteria, but only needs to last four days, unlike seven days for a manic episode, and is less severe than a manic episode. These patients have dig fast symptoms, but are not as severely impaired. Any episode with symptoms severe enough to result in hospitalization should be considered to be a manic episode. Similarly, the presence of psychotic features also qualify as mania. Cyclothymic Disorder Cyclothymic patients experience a chronic cycling mood disorder that varies between hypomanic symptoms that don't fulfill criteria for either a manic or hypomanic episode and depressive symptoms that fulfill criteria for a major depressive episode. These symptoms must last at least two years with no symptom-free period longer than two consecutive months and must impair the functioning of the patient. Approximately 15% to 50% of patients will go on to develop bipolar 1 or 2 disorders. Treatment for bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 disorders. Lithium helps stabilize mood and decreases the risk of a manic or depressive episode and is usually the first-line treatment. Important side effects include its antidiuretic hormone, ADH, antagonist effects on the kidney, causing nephrogenic diabetes insipidus, and hypothyroidism. It is associated with Epstein anomaly in the infant, in which the opening of the tricuspid valve is displaced downward toward the apex of the right ventricle. This makes the right atrium too large and the right ventricle too small. Lithium can be toxic in overdose. Mild lithium toxicity is manifested by tremor and nausea, with higher levels of toxicity progressing to seizures, coma, and death. Antiepileptic drugs, AEDs, such as valproate, are also used as mood stabilizers. Side effects of valproate include hepatotoxicity and neural tube defects in prenatal exposure. Carbamazepine is another AED that also increases liver function tests. It results and carries a risk of agranulocytosis as well as Stevens-Johnson syndrome. 
Do you recall which antipsychotic is also strongly associated with agranulocytosis? Answer. Clozapine. Electroconvulsive therapy can also be used for patients with bipolar disorder. Lithium is the first-line drug in the treatment of bipolar disorders, except in pregnancy, when halopuridol is preferred. Anxiety disorders. Panic disorder. Patients with panic disorder have panic attacks and are constantly afraid of having another embarrassing panic attack. Panic attacks are characterized by intense fear, sweating, palpitations, shortness of breath, chest pain, nausea, numbness or tingling, feeling like one is choking, and or feeling like one is going to die. In order to be diagnosed, patients also must have persistent worry about having another panic attack in the future, or have made a significant change in their behavior as a result of the panic attacks, such as avoiding certain places out of fear of having an attack while there, also known as agoraphobia. Of note, panic attacks can occur out of the blue and do not have a clear trigger. Patients can be awoken from sleep by their symptoms. Neurobiological Mechanism Panic disorder is associated with increased norepinephrine signaling and decreased serotonin and gamma-aminobutric acid, GABA, GABA. In brief, this makes sense because of the autonomic symptoms that patients have, increased norepinephrine, and inability to relax, decreased GABA. Treatment. Benzodiazepines. These drugs allosterically alter GABA receptors in the brain and promote GABA binding. Given the known neurotransmitter abnormalities, it should make sense that these GABAergic medications should help a patient relax during a panic attack. However, these medications are habit-forming and should not be used long-term. SSRIs Useful in long-term maintenance because of the lower baseline serotonin levels in patients with panic disorders. Recall that SSRIs are also a mainstay of treatment for depression. Specific and social phobias. The term phobia is used to describe an exaggerated or irrational fear of an object or situation. Those with a phobia are so affected by this fear that it interferes with their social life, job, or other activities of daily living. Patients with social phobia have similar anxious reactions to social situations. Patients with performance anxiety have a specific fear of public speaking, but are otherwise not anxious in public. Some patients may experience actual panic attacks in reaction to their phobia. Such patients are not considered to have panic disorder. Although the distinction between panic disorder and a specific or social phobia may seem hazy, the key point is that panic disorder is characterized by unprovoked panic attacks, whereas patients with a specific or social phobia have symptoms of anxiety or panic specifically when confronted by their fear. Treatment Unlike for panic disorder, 
medications are not particularly effective for specific phobias. This disorder is best treated by systematic desensitization, in which the patient is gradually exposed to their fear in a controlled environment. In contrast, sufferers of social phobia do benefit from peroxidine and SSRI. Beta blockers such as propanolol are also useful for social phobia to blunt the sympathetic response that causes a person's heart to race. Generalized anxiety disorder. Unlike those with panic disorder or specific phobia, patients with generalized anxiety disorder (GAD) are always anxious, as the name of the disorder suggests. They worry about multiple aspects of their daily lives, such as their jobs, finances, or grades. They can also worry about social situations, but look for anxiety about other aspects of their lives to differentiate from social phobia. These symptoms are chronic and must last for at least six months. Many patients complain of being anxious my whole life. GAD is common. With a lifetime prevalence of about four percent. Neurobiological mechanism. There is no one neurotransmitter implicated in GAD, although it appears that there is increased norepinephrine, decreased GABA, and decreased serotonin signaling. Also, functional MRI studies link GAD to abnormal processing in the amygdala. An area of the brain that has important roles in emotions and memory. Treatment: SSRIs and SNRIs. Recall that depression and GAD are associated with decreased levels of serotonin. Buspirone, a unique medication that is a partial agonist at serotonin 5-HT1A receptors. It is also a D2 antagonist. However, it is not clear if this contributes to its anxiolytic effects. Unlike benzodiazepines, buspirone does not have potential for tolerance or dependence. Also, it is not sedating and does not interact with alcohol. Benzodiazepines may be used for the treatment of GAD. However, as is the case with panic disorder, they are not ideal for monotherapy. Or for prolonged periods because of the risk of tolerance and dependence. Furthermore, because benzodiazepines are gabinergic depressants, there is a risk of respiratory depression and death when mixed with alcohol. The prognosis for GAD is not as poor as for other disorders such as schizophrenia. Fifty percent of patients will fully recover. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Patients with obsessive-compulsive disorder (OCD) experience both obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are recurrent thoughts that cause distress to the patient. Unlike hallucinations, which is what a schizophrenic might have, a patient with OCD is aware that the distressing obsession is all in the head. The fact that patients with OCD are aware of their irrational thoughts and behavior. Is termed egodystonic. They are not comfortable with these obsessions. For example, someone might have recurring thoughts that he or she has forgotten to turn off the stove. 
another patient may feel that performing a task from folding clothes to cutting carrots has to be done in an exact fashion, or else it will not feel right. Other common obsessions relate to symmetry of an arrangement of objects or cleanliness and the presence of germs. Compulsions are compensatory actions that the patient does to relieve the anxiety caused by the obsessions. Patients who worry about whether the stove is on or off may go to the kitchen to check it repeatedly. This urge may be so strong that it causes them to be late for work or get out of bed when trying to sleep. Patients who have less well-defined obsessions regarding daily tasks may count in their head while chopping carrots to make sure they finish on a safe number. Patients may spend significant amounts of time moving and rearranging objects so that their alignment is good or may wash their hands repeatedly to the point that their skin becomes raw. Patients with OCD are very distressed by their obsessions, and the resulting compulsions interfere with the flow of their daily lives. Neurobiological Mechanism Although this is not well understood, researchers postulate that serotonin signaling is decreased in OCT patients as well. This is based on the finding that SSRIs are an effective treatment. Treatment SSRIs are used to treat OCD. TCAs, particularly clomipramine, can also be used. Behavioral therapy, such as relaxation techniques, is equally important. Stress disorders. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. PTSD develops in some patients after experiencing or witnessing a traumatic or potentially life-threatening event. Such events include rape, war, and motor vehicle accidents. For at least one month, they experience symptoms such as the following. Hyperarousal, a state of increased alertness and tension that can lead to trouble sleeping, jumpiness, or angry outbursts. Intrusive thoughts. The patient has persistent dreams or flashbacks of the event. Numbness. Patients may have limited emotions and effect, and they may feel detached from the world around them. Avoidance. Patients avoid anything that reminds them of the traumatic event, such as a war veteran avoiding firework shows, shooting ranges, or other locations that have loud, sudden noises. Treatment. Antidepressants such as SSRIs, TCAs, and MAL inhibitors may be used for PTSD. Counseling and behavioral therapy are of great importance for patients with PTSD. Support groups and relaxation training are especially valuable. Benzodiazepines can be prescribed to help with sleep. Acute stress disorder. Patients with acute stress disorder have similar reactions to a traumatic event as those with PTSD, but symptoms of acute stress disorder last less than one month. When symptoms last longer than a month, it is considered PTSD. It is treated similarly to PTSD. Adjustment disorder. Adjustment disorder involves an excessive, maladaptive reaction to a stressful life event. Symptoms must start within three months of the onset of the stressor. Unlike PTSD, the life event need not be life-threatening. It may involve starting at a new school or divorcing one's spouse.
Although most people do have some sadness or anxiety in response to such situations, those with adjustment disorder have more severe reactions that impair the patient's ability to function. For example, a teenager may develop symptoms of depression after leaving his childhood friends and moving to a new town. He loses his appetite and feels sad all the time. This particular patient developed depressive symptoms, whereas others with adjustment disorder may develop anxiety or aggression. Note that patients who meet criteria for major depressive disorder will be diagnosed with that condition instead, not adjustment disorder, regardless of the presence of a trigger. Of note, normal grief after the death of a loved one does not constitute an adjustment disorder. Malingering. A patient who is malingering fakes a disorder for secondary gain, a goal that would benefit the patient. For example, an inmate may fake psychotic symptoms to be removed from jail, or the disorder may be physical. A man may fake or greatly exaggerate back pain to receive opiates or time off work from a physician. Symptoms may resolve once the patient's secondary gain has been achieved. Factitious disorder. Like malingering, patients with factitious disorder consciously fake symptoms both physical and psychological. However, they do not have a secondary goal in mind, for example, avoiding work. Their aim is to be a sick patient and thus get attention and sympathy from medical providers, also called primary gain. This can be difficult to diagnose and requires a high degree of suspicion and some detective work on the part of the physician. For example, for a patient who complains of terrible stomach pain, an examiner may stand near the patient and subtly bump into the patient or the bed while talking. This should elicit a grimace in a patient with truly severe abdominal pain. But patients with a fetishist disorder might not react because they do not believe they are being examined. Another commonly tested example is a patient who secretly injects insulin to purposely induce hypoglycemia. The treating physician should measure levels of C-peptide to distinguish factitious disorder from organic causes. C-peptide is produced with endogenous insulin and will be low in a factitious disorder, exogenous insulin, but high with an organic cause, endogenous insulin. Unfortunately, Fictitious disorder has a poor prognosis and there is no good treatment. Munchausen syndrome is the term used to describe a fictitious disorder that is chronic rather than a few isolated episodes. Think of a woman who complains of awful chronic abdominal pain who has been to numerous doctors. On two occasions, her abdominal pain has even appeared to be acute on examination and she has actually consented to and undergone two exploratory surgeries. She visits new doctors to continue to receive care. However, imaging, laboratory work, and the history and physical have all failed to reveal an organic reason for her pain. On the USMLE, the question stem will likely tell you that all testing has been negative, and you should infer that the disorder is being faked. 
In real life, though, don't be too quick to blame the patient if you are unable to find an answer, because there are certainly actual diseases that elude explanation for quite some time. Munchausen syndrome by proxy or fictitious disorder by proxy is almost always a cause of a parent faking an illness in a child. For example, a mother may take her young son to a number of physicians. Saying that he has joint pains, headaches, vomiting, and a rash, she may appear to have a lot of knowledge about medicine and may even work in a healthcare setting. In the hospital, she is always by her son's side and demands near constant attention and always wants more tests or procedures. Mysteriously, when she is not present, her son doesn't seem to have any symptoms at all. Testing doesn't support any of her claims or point to a diagnosis. When told that there is nothing more to be done and that it is time for discharge, the patient may suddenly get worse, and the mother may demand transfer to a better hospital. This is a very unfortunate situation and is a form of child abuse that must be reported. Somatoform disorders. Patients with somatoform disorders. Have physical symptoms that have no identifiable explanation, like malingering and fictitious disorder. However, the key difference is that patients with somatoform disorders are not consciously creating symptoms for primary or secondary gain. The reason for the symptoms and healthcare-seeking behavior is unconscious, and they are not creating their symptoms willfully. Somatization disorder. These patients have multiple complaints that span several organ systems. Their symptoms must include pain such as leg or neck pain and sexual such as discomfort with intercourse, gastrointestinal such as diarrhea or bloating, and neurologic symptoms such as tingling in hands and feet. This tends to be a chronic disorder and sadly can be debilitating. The best way for the physician to handle a patient with somatization disorder is frequently scheduled visits with the same primary care provider to help the patient feel nurtured and discuss any new concerns. Medication does not help. Excessive diagnostic testing should be avoided. Memorization: Somatization disorder has so many symptoms: painful, sexual. Gastrointestinal neurologic conversion disorder, characterized by a psychological trigger being converted into a neurologic symptom in the absence of an organic cause. Conversion disorders symptoms are often transient. Examples include motor deficits, paresthesias, seizures, blindness, and the sensation of a lump in the throat called globus hysterectus. These patients tend to be young adults. In older patients, be vigilant for organic causes such as transient ischemic attacks. Patients may display la belle indifference, a surprising lack of concern for their severe symptom. Often, the symptom will resolve and never return. The prognosis is much better than for other somatoform disorders. Illness anxiety disorder. The distinguishing feature of illness anxiety disorder, previously called hypochondriasis, is that patients are fearful that they have a disease 
and repeatedly seek health care and testing to prove that they have a disease. They may actually have symptoms, but they misinterpret them in a way that produces extreme anxiety. For example, a man who has bloating after meals may fear that he has some type of gastrointestinal cancer and is not reassured by multiple negative tests. This can be distinguished from somatization disorder in which there is a fixation on a multitude of symptoms and how they feel, not an underlying disease. Body dysmorphic disorder. These patients are preoccupied with aspects of their appearance that they believe to be flawed, despite all evidence to the contrary. An example is a woman who hates how her nose looks. She refuses to look at herself in the mirror and won't allow her friends to take pictures of her nose. Even after having plastic surgery on her nose twice, she still thinks it is ugly, although her friends see no problem with it. Other examples include muscle dysmorphia, the belief that one is not muscular enough, or skin, hair, or weight concerns. SSRIs can reduce symptoms in some of these patients. Personality disorders. Personality is something that is stable across multiple situations and affects how people react to different events in their life. Patients with personality disorders have atypical or troubling aspects of their personality that cause significant distress or impaired daily functioning. Personality disorders are difficult to treat and most have a chronic course. Cluster A. Weird. Cluster A personality disorders include people who are just odd. Some of these disorders have a familial association with schizophrenia, such as the patient has a family history of schizophrenia. The patients themselves do not meet criteria for schizophrenia. Paranoid. These people just don't trust others. They always think that others have ulterior motives. In contrast to psychotic patients who may be paranoid that the CIA has implanted a mind-controlling device in their brain, their mistrust is less bizarre. They bear grudges and are easily offended by perceived slights. Schizoid. Despite the name, patients with schizoid personality disorder do not share many characteristics with schizophrenics. These people are cold, withdrawn, and have little interests in friends, romance, or sex. They have no friends or close contacts, and they prefer it this way. Mnemonic. Schizoid rhymes with android. They do not have any delusions or hallucinations. Schizotypal. Again, these patients do not meet the criteria for schizophrenia, but their personality is characterized by odd magical beliefs such as a belief in telepathy or aliens, ideas of reference, or eccentric clothing. Like those with schizoid personality disorder, these patients have difficulty with relationships, but they may have some anxiety about it. Recall that schizoid patients are indifferent to relationships. Cluster B. Wild. Patients with wild-type personality disorders are impulsive, emotional, and dramatic. Many of them have a family history of mood disorders. Antisocial. 
patients with antisocial personality disorder demonstrate a persistent disregard for the rights of others and commit serious crimes. Recall the description of conduct disorder. When those patients reach the age of 18, they gain the diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. Similarly, these patients are prone to breaking the law, such as stealing, assault, and even murder. They are impulsive and poor planners. They do not think about consequences of their actions for either themselves or others. Borderline. These are the crazy girls. Driven by a fear of abandonment, they frequently dance in and out of friendships and romantic relationships. Relationships are often passionate and intense at first and then end quickly and dramatically. Patients may be impulsive sexually as well. These women do not have a stable self-image and do not make good decisions for themselves because of this. A key point for the USMLE, as well as with real patients, is that patients with borderline personality disorder often engage in self-mutilation, such as cutting wrists, and threaten suicide as a result of the frequent ups and downs in their lives, particularly when friends or partners threaten to leave the relationship. They classically use splitting as an ego defense. They either love people or hate them. In the clinical setting, this may present as a patient effusively praising the physician while deriding the nursing staff, or vice versa. In general, these patients can be thought of as whirlwinds of emotion and instability. Histrionic These are the drama queens. Think of a woman who always dresses provocatively, flirts to an inappropriate degree, and hates it when she isn't the center of attention, which makes it difficult to be her friend. She is known for over-dramatizing things. Because of this air of drama and exaggeration she constantly carries, she inflates the significance of the tenuous relationships she does have, and she is surprised to find out that the absolutely perfect, divine man that she went on two dates with is not, in fact, intending to propose to her. This may sound a bit like borderline personality disorder, but histrionic patients tend to lack the tendency towards self-harm. Narcissistic. These are the guys with an ego bigger than their zip code. If they think they're the best and most important thing since sliced bread, and they believe that everyone envies them. This may be a business executive who is obsessed with making money, is arrogant toward people with less financial success, and only associates with other wealthy businessmen. He has no problem taking advantage of others as long as he benefits in the long run. He has a sense of entitlement and yells at waitresses who don't treat him like royalty. Surprisingly, his feelings can be easily hurt if people don't shower him with compliments or treat him the way he thinks he deserves. Cluster C. Worried. Cluster C patients are anxious and fearful. There is often a family history of anxiety disorders. Avoidant. These patients are so intensely afraid of being rejected by others that they avoid engaging in social contact. They even avoid jobs that require interpersonal interaction because they are so worried about being criticized. Although they may appear to be loners, 
like those with schizoid personality disorder, remember that the robotic schizoids have no interest in making friends. In contrast, patients with avoidant personality disorder would very much like to have relationships. They're just too scared to try because of the risk of failure. This dichotomy produces a lot of anxiety. Social phobia may also sound similar, but such patients are afraid of interacting with others primarily because of a deep-seated fear of embarrassment. Avoidant patients are primarily driven by a fear of rejection as a consequence of their actions. Dependent. Although these patients also worry about rejection and failure, their main issue is a submissive nature and extreme lack of self-confidence. Unlike avoidant patients, dependent patients often do have relationships and cling to them as tightly as they can because they perform any task without reassurance or guidance from their partner. They are afraid of being alone and will immediately seek another relationship when one ends. Think of a woman who has to call her boyfriend to ask for his approval, even for the smallest things, such as choosing a brand of ketchup at the grocery store. She always lets him have his way because she doesn't want to argue and make him unhappy. Obsessive-compulsive Obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, OCPD, is a different and separate entity from the similarly named obsessive-compulsive disorder. Patients with OCPD are often known as strict and perfectionistic. They love to follow rules and become very distraught if they or other people do not follow the rules. They obsess over their work and will spend so much time making every little bit of it perfect that they fail to turn in projects on time. This is exacerbated by their inability to trust others to do it perfectly and failure to delegate tasks. Note that this is not like OCD, in which patients have obsessive thoughts that cause them to perform compulsive actions to relieve the anxiety caused by those thoughts. Also, recall that OCD is an egodystonic disorder in that the patient knows that their obsessions and compulsions are unreasonable, and they wish they did not have them. In contrast, OCPD is an egosyntonic disorder, in which patients see no wrong in their ways, and they think everyone should be as perfectionistic as they are. Dissociative Disorders Patients with dissociative disorders somehow dissociate from themselves in that they lose their memory or sense of who they are. These disorders are associated with stressful life events. In dissociative amnesia, a traumatic event such as a robbery leaves a patient unable to remember what happened to them. He may even forget his name and where he lives. This can be thought of as a psychological defense that prevents a patient from dealing with the difficult situation that occurred. Note, that this is different from repression as a defense mechanism, in which a patient involuntarily pushes the memories out of awareness. This often resolves spontaneously. Dissociative fugue is also an amnestic disorder in which patients forget who they are and suddenly travel someplace new. Think of a man who finds himself in Oklahoma City and calls himself Charles. He doesn't remember anything about how he got there or what happened in his past. 
these fugues usually end spontaneously as well. After a couple of weeks, Charles remembers that his name is actually Arthur. He goes home to resume his normal life as a stockbroker in San Francisco, and he forgets everything about the fugue episode. Known colloquially as multiple personality disorder, dissociative identity disorder, DID, is an extremely rare disorder in which a patient develops multiple unique personalities that are thought to defend the patient and fill important roles for his or her survival and well-being. DID may develop as a consequence of sexual abuse. For example, the female victim may develop a strong male personality who emerges when she is feeling threatened. He will act strong for her or will confront people who are threatening her. Strangely, each personality has a unique voice, vocal inflections, and body language. These patients may have gaps in their memory from life events, such as getting married, to learn skills, such as driving. They can also experience dissociative fugue. Unlike the previous two dissociative disorders, patients with DID are unlikely to recover. Depersonalization disorder does not involve amnesia, but rather a feeling of being separated from one's body. Patients may describe themselves as being outside my body, watching myself like I'm on TV. During these episodes, reality testing is intact and they are not psychotic. This is an unsettling feeling for many patients and causes anxiety or panic attacks. Depersonalization is different from derealization, which is not a disorder but rather a symptom of anxiety or panic disorders. Derealization is characterized by a patient feeling that what she is experiencing is not real. She may feel like she is behind a thick pan of glass watching an unreal world, or perhaps the world looks like it is merely our cartoon. Eating disorders. Anorexia nervosa. Patients with anorexia nervosa have a distorted sense of body image. They believe themselves to be overweight, even if they are very thin. They have an extreme fear of gaining weight, and they go to extreme lengths to lose weight or not gain weight. One criterion for anorexia nervosa is body weight at least 15% less than normal. Their personality is often controlling in type A. They may actually be successful in other areas of their life, such as a straight A student, accomplished gymnast, and they transfer this strict attitude toward controlling their weight. There are two main types of anorexia nervosa. Restrictive. These patients restrict what they eat. A young woman may put only a few leaves of lettuce and a few small pieces of broccoli on her plate and call that salad her dinner. Even then, she may pick at it and not finish all the food. She also exercises excessively to help her get thin. Binge eating and purging. As the name suggests, these patients alternate between binging, losing control and eating a very large amount of food at once, and purging getting rid of the food to avoid gaining weight. Some patients may induce vomiting, whereas others may abuse laxatives. 
In addition to these behaviors, there are several physical changes that are commonly found in those with anorexia nervosa. Patients may have dry skin and develop fine body hair called lanugo. Their teeth may erode and develop cavities as a result of repeated emesis, particularly on the lingual surface of the molars and front teeth. They may have calluses on their knuckles, rustle sign, from sticking their fingers into their mouths to induce emesis. Because of their starvation, they may develop amenorrhea, infertility, anemia, and osteoporosis. With intensive exercise, they may develop stress fractures. They may develop hypotension and bradycardia because their bodies are depleted of volume and their sympathetic drive is low. Another classic finding and test question is that laxative abuse can cause melanosis coli, in which the colonic mucosa becomes darkened. Particularly for those who binge and purge, electrolyte abnormalities are relatively common and can be dangerous. They typically have a hypochloremic, hypokalemic, metabolic alkalosis because emesis contains chloride and potassium ions. From purging volume from their body, they develop a contraction alkalosis. Subsequent activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone axis causes more potassium secretion in the distal tubule. These electrolyte abnormalities can be deadly because of the potential for prolonged QT and arrhythmias. These electrolyte abnormalities can worsen when severely malnourished patients resume eating. Eating stimulates insulin release, causing cells to rapidly take up potassium, magnesium for enzyme cofactors and phosphate to make adenosine triphosphate, ATP. These patients may already have depleted systemic stores of these electrolytes. This can lead to refeeding syndrome, which is characterized by hypokalemia, hypomagnesemia, and hypophosphatemia. Without phosphate to make ATP, the heart and diaphragm can fail. In addition, patients may die of starvation or suicide. The mortality rate is approximately 10%. Patients whose body weight is 20% or more below normal should be hospitalized for treatment, which includes therapy and possibly antidepressants, as well as treatment of the electrolyte and nutrition abnormalities. Only 50% of patients will recover completely. Bulimia nervosa. Unlike patients with anorexia nervosa, patients with bulimia nervosa are usually of normal weight or may be overweight and do not have amenorrhea as a result of their disease. Refer to Table 14.3. If they ever dropped to 15% less than normal body weight, the diagnosis is changed to anorexia. Instead of being control freaks, bulimics can be thought of as lacking control. Many patients also suffer from impulse control disorders and drug abuse. Patients with bulimia frequently binge eat and then try to compensate for their overeating by exercising or purging. This part of the clinical picture sounds similar to the binge eating and purging type of anorexia nervosa.
There are also two types of bulimia nervosa. Purging. These patients try to get rid of food and weight by inducing emesis, taking laxatives, or taking diuretics. Non-purging. These patients try to get rid of weight by exercising excessively or having periods of fasting. Because of these purging behaviors, patients with bulimia nervosa can also have hypochloremic, hypokalemic, metabolic alkalosis for the same reasons described earlier. They may also have knuckle calluses and eroded teeth. However, because they are not starving, they will not develop lanugo, anemia, osteoporosis, and amenorrhea like anorexic patients. Repeated episodes of retching put them at risk for malory waste tears and the severe complication of Borhav syndrome, rupture of the esophagus. See chapter 10 for details. Though patients with bulimia nervosa may binge and purge more frequently in times of stress, they have lower morbidity and mortality rates than patients with anorexia nervosa. A diagnosis requires that binge purging behavior occur at least weekly, on average for three months. Because their lack of control is closely linked to mood and impulse control disorders, SSRIs can be beneficial. Therapy is also important. Gender dysphoria. An easy way of remembering the difference between sex and gender is that sex is between the legs. Men have a penis and testicles. Women have a vagina. Whereas gender is between the ears or in the brain. Some people feel that they are a man, want to dress like a man, and want to be treated like a man. For some people, their sex and gender are not the same. For example, someone may be born XY and have male genitalia, but feel that he was born with the wrong body, and in fact should be a female. Gender dysphoria refers to distress from this difference between expressed and assigned gender. Transgenderism broadly refers to individuals who persistently identify with a gender different than their sex at birth. They may take hormones or seek sex reassignment surgery to make their body match their gender. People like this are commonly known as transsexuals. Although they may dress like the gender that they believe they are, note that this is not the same as cross-dressing. A man may enjoy wearing dresses and high heels every now and then because it makes him feel sexy, but he still feels fundamentally that he is a man. Unfortunately, patients with gender dysphoria often struggle internally and with their family, friends, and society, and many of them subsequently deal with depression or suicide. Disorders of Substance Use Substance abuse is a psychological disorder in which patients use a substance such as alcohol, cocaine, or opiates in a maladaptive pattern that negatively affects their life. Specifically, a man who abuses alcohol may neglect to arrive to work on time, not perform his household chores, put himself in dangerous situations by driving while intoxicated, and getting in trouble with the law. He continues to use alcohol despite all these problems. Note 
that patients with a substance abuse diagnosis have never met the criteria for substance dependence. Substance dependence consists of physical and psychological symptoms. First, these patients may experience withdrawal, defined later, when they decrease the amount of drug used or stop using it entirely. Second, they may develop tolerance. Their body becomes accustomed to the drug and therefore more drug is required to achieve the same effect. They try to cut back but are unsuccessful. They spend a lot of time and effort getting their drug of choice, resulting in less time spent with family, friends, and their job. Finally, similar to those with substance abuse, patients with substance dependence continue to use their drugs despite the physical or psychological problems it causes. For example, a young man may continue to use cocaine even though he has had a myocardial infarction as a result. Substance withdrawal, refer to Table 14.4, is characterized by physical and mental symptoms that arise as a result of stopping or reducing substance use. These symptoms typically do not appear unless a person has been using the substance for a long sustained period. Thus, if a question presents unusual symptoms after a young woman's first experience with heroin, her symptoms are not caused by withdrawal. Withdrawal symptoms are typically the opposite of intoxication symptoms. When a patient is in withdrawal, administering that drug will cause withdrawal symptoms to cease, making it difficult for patients to quit. Commonly abused substances. Stimulants. These drugs, known as uppers, tend to make patients excited, agitated, energetic, and restless. Amphetamines and cocaine. Amphetamines such as methamphetamine, MDMA, or ecstasy, cause similar intoxication and withdrawal symptoms to cocaine because both increase dopamine signaling, although their mechanisms of action are slightly different. Amphetamines induce the release of dopamine from presynaptic vesicles, whereas cocaine blocks reuptake of dopamine from the synapse. This contributes to the happy and crazy symptoms of intoxication, which include euphoria, decreased inhibitions, hallucinations, delusions, and agitation. Recall that psychosis is also associated with increased dopamine. You can see some similarities in their symptoms. Because they both increase norepinephrine signaling as well, they cause sympathetic effects such as pupillary dilation, tachycardia, hypertension, and cardiac arrhythmias. Cocaine is particularly known as a cause of myocardial infarction. If a patient has a myocardial infarction suspicious for cocaine use, do not use beta blockers. They take away the vasodilatory effects of active beta-adrenergic receptors and allow alpha-adrenergic receptors to worsen coronary arteries spasm. Further details are available in Table 14.4. Synthetic cantonons, bath salts, are mixtures of drugs with an amphetamine-like action and physical effects. However, they are not detected on clinically available drug tests. If a patient comes in with symptoms of stimulant use 
and a negative drug screen, consider bath salt abuse. Patients report a crash after they cease using amphetamines or cocaine. They feel crummy and unhappy. They may complain of fatigue and depression. Examination reveals constricted pupils. Fortunately, withdrawal from amphetamines and cocaine is not typically fatal, although on occasion, patients may be so depressed that they attempt suicide. Patients who snort stimulants may have mucosal injury, including nasal septum perforation. Patients who use amphetamines chronically may have tooth decay from dry mouth, meth mouth. Nicotine. Nicotine is another commonly abused stimulant, typically via cigarette smoking. Also, chewing tobacco, snuff. Many people say they enjoy smoking because it relaxes them. However, nicotine in large quantities is not at all pleasant and can cause anxiety, restlessness, insomnia, and increased GI motility, diarrhea. It tends to reduce appetite. Furthermore, cardiac arrhythmias may occur. With cessation of smoking, patients experience extreme cravings. They feel unhappy and anxious. Many patients have constipation as well as increased appetite and weight gain after they stop smoking. Caffeine. Caffeine use is also common. Patients may feel jittery and anxious. They have trouble sleeping. Their faces become red and flushed. They sweat, and they also have increased GI motility. Cardiac arrhythmias can also result as well. The symptoms of nicotine and caffeine intoxication are similar. The USMLE will not ask you to distinguish between the two unless the history makes the answer clear. Many people are acquainted with the symptoms of caffeine withdrawal. Headaches are a key symptom. Patients may also experience nausea. They are frequently tired and can even feel anxious or depressed. Depressants or sedatives. These drugs, known as downers, tend to make people calm, slow, mentally and physically, and sleepy. Alcohol. At lower doses, patients experience impaired fine motor control, coordination, and judgment. With more alcohol, vertigo may develop because the alcohol permeates into the inner ear and changes the density of the endolymph. With prolonged use, patients also exhibit emotional lability. More dangerous consequences occur with yet larger quantities of alcohol, such as coma and respiratory depression, which are potentially fatal. There is no specific cure or antidote for the situation, but it is important to provide supportive care, including intubation and intravenous IV fluids. The liver will eventually metabolize the alcohol, but large quantities will take quite some time because of alcohol's zero-order kinetics. Patients who consume significant amounts of alcohol over a long period are susceptible to Wernicke encephalopathy an acute syndrome characterized by the triad of ataxia, ophthalmoplegia, paralysis of extraocular muscles, and confusion, because the syndrome is thought to be precipitated by thiamine deficiency, vitamin B1, 
patients who present with alcohol intoxication and altered mental status are often given thiamine. Pathologic examination demonstrates neuron death in the mammillary bodies, mediothalamus, and cerebellar vermis. If untreated, this may progress to Korsakoff psychosis. These patients have anterograde and retrograde amnesia, and they are known for confabulation, making up stories to fill the gap in their memories. For example, when asked how his day is going, a man with Korsakoff psychosis may not remember and thus fabricate a story about waking up at 9 a.m., making pancakes, and enjoying a TV show. In contrast to someone who is consciously lying, he is not actually aware that these supposed memories are false and may even insist they are real if questioned. Thiamine may help, but unfortunately, Korsakoff psychosis is usually irreversible. Disulfiram is a medication that causes unpleasant symptoms such as flushing and vomiting when taking with alcohol and thus is used as an aversive therapy to help patients quit. It inhibits aldehyde dehydrogenase, see chapter 7. Of note, the antibiotic metronidazole has a disulfiram-like reaction and will cause similar symptoms when mixed with alcohol. Though withdrawals to most substances are uncomfortable, Alcohol withdrawal can be dangerous and presents in myriad ways. Starting 6-12 to 12 hours after the last drink, patients may have minor symptoms such as tremors, anxiety, headaches, palpitation, diaphoresis, and insomnia. Approximately 12-48 to 48 hours after the last drink, some patients experience alcoholic hallucinosis, which is characterized by visual, auditory, or tactile hallucinations, such as formication, the sensation of bugs crawling on the skin. Starting 24 to 48 hours after the last drink, a minority of patients develop seizures because of the loss of GABAergic signaling in the brain. Finally, starting 48 to 72 hours after the patient's last drink, a small percentage of patients develop delirium tremens, which includes hallucinations, typically visual such as seeing rats or snakes, altered mental status, and autonomic instability, tachycardia, hypertension, fever, and diaphoresis. Delirium tremens symptoms peak at five days after the last drink. Mortality for delirium tremens is 5 to 15%. Benzodiazepines, which are also GABAergic, are used to treat alcohol withdrawal. Barbiturates and benzodiazepines. Barbiturates act as central nervous system (CNS) depressants to varying degrees by binding to the GABA receptor, prolonging the duration of channel opening and chloride flux, and therefore potentiating GABA signaling. Recall that benzodiazepines also increase GABA signaling, although they do so by increasing the frequency of chloride channel opening. Because they bind at different sites and have slightly different mechanisms, barbiturates and benzodiazepines can act synergistically and are much more dangerous when taken together. 
the effects of barbiturates and benzodiazepines span a spectrum from decreased anxiety, drowsiness, and ataxia to amnesia, respiratory depression, and coma. This sounds just like alcohol intoxication, which makes sense because of their similar mechanisms of action. Barbiturates have a worse safety profile than benzodiazepines and thus are rarely used therapeutically in medicine. Because barbiturates are acidic, alkalizing the urine with sodium bicarbonate can help speed excretion. Benzodiazepines do have a specific antidote. Flumazino is a competitive inhibitor at the benzodiazepine binding site on the GABA receptor. Again, Flumazino does not work for barbiturate overdose because barbiturates bind at a different site. In withdrawal, as was the case with alcohol, patients may have seizures because of decreased GABA tone and increased excitability of the brain. They also may experience anxiety, tremors, and hallucinations. Their bodies also respond to withdrawal of these sedatives with insomnia, tachycardia, and diaphoresis. Opiates Opiates, whose main medical use is control of moderate to severe pain, work primarily by binding to mu opioid receptors in the CNS. The endogenous agonists for these receptors are the endorphins and encephalins. Synthetic agonists, technically called opioids, include morphine, oxycodone, and hydromorphone, all pain medications as well as heroin. The term opiates is often used as a blanket term to cover endogenous and synthetic opioid receptor agonists. In intoxication, like the other depressants, drowsiness, respiratory depression, or coma can result. Patients may also develop seizures. Recall that this is a symptom of withdrawal of the depressants described earlier. Clearly, overdose can be fatal and is a major public health problem. On examination, pupils are constricted. They are so small that they are referred to as pinpoint pupils. Recall that pupillary constriction is also seen in amphetamine and cocaine withdrawal. Like benzodiazepines, opiates do have a specific antidote. Naloxone is a competitive antagonist at the opioid receptor and thus prevents opiates from exerting their effect. One notable side effect of opiates is constipation. This is because there are also mu opioid receptors in the gut, and their function is to decrease gut motility. Withdrawal from opiates is not deadly, but it is certainly unpleasant. Patients experience anxiety, dysphoria, and insomnia, and they frequently yawn. Other symptoms collectively can be thought of as secretory, rhinorrhea, lacrimation, and diarrhea, because the breaks on gut motility have now been removed. On examination, the patient withdrawing from opioids will have dilated pupils and piloerection. Hallucinogens Hallucinogens can cause hallucinations and delusions and mood changes. Phenocyclidine, PCP, angel dust. The most notable aspect of PCP is that it tends to make people very aggressive. The combination of the hallucinations and euphoria they experience 
gives them a sense of great power and surprising strength. Patients have also committed suicide as a result of PCP intoxication. PCP is one of the few causes of vertical nystigmus. Physiologic effects can be remembered using the mnemonic Red Danes. Rage, erythema of the skin, dilated pupils, like amphetamine or cocaine intoxication or opiate withdrawal, delusions, amnesia, nystigmus, excitation, and skin dryness. In withdrawal, patients are anxious, depressed, and irritable. They have lost the intense euphoria. They may be fatigued or restless. Lysergic acid diethylamide, LSD, acid. Many symptoms of lysergic acid diethylamide, LSD, intoxication overlap with those of PCP. Delusions and hallucinations are common. Some people may see beautiful rippling colors amid everyday objects. People may feel depersonalized from themselves. These feelings are interpreted by some as profound religious or spiritual experiences. Patients can also become paranoid. They experience tremors, tachycardia, diaphoresis, and pupillary dilation. Fortunately, LSD is not addictive and does not cause a withdrawal syndrome. However, patients may have flashbacks years after their last dose of LSD. They may experience episodes of LSD's perceptual effects. Marijuana. Marijuana is used relatively commonly because it improves mood and induces euphoria. With higher doses, it can cause anxiety and paranoid delusions, possibly even severe enough to require temporary hospitalization. Physiologically, marijuana causes tachycardia, dry mouth, conjunctival injection, and increased appetite. Although most people do not experience withdrawal symptoms, some may suffer from irritability, insomnia, nausea, and decreased appetite. Dronabinol, marinol, is a cannabinoid analog used to suppress vomiting and increase appetite. It is used for chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting when conventional medications do not give adequate control. Medication Summary Now that the specific characteristics of several classes of medication have been described, it may be helpful to oversimplify for the sake of committing them to memory. Refer to Table 14.5. Please note that side effects are not thoroughly covered in this table, but they are commonly tested on the USMLE. Refer to the earlier descriptions in this chapter for details. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step 1, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.